it's, I don't know, it's something about that hole. What do you mean? I don't know, it's just weird. Well, you filled it in, didn't you? Remember, you stay in this weekend. Okay, and I bought the house clean when we come home. No parties. remember necessarily the first time I saw the movie in its entirety but it's one of those films when I was a kid that used to like come on on late nights on HBO or one of those uh, cable channels and there there were the vivid imagery and the things that they did with the effects really stood out because one of the first things I remember as a kid is I remember seeing the little boy with the eye on, in the palm of his hand and that just freaked me out and I was just like what is this bizarre supernatural movie I just have to keep watching and I think I kind of just was watching it in chunks at that time like I would just happen to like turn it on and see it so again it was really about the visuals with the gate and then um, as I got older I started to notice a lot of other deeper things that the movie was trying to say. And it, I, I'm really excited about delving into those things because while it is a fun and trippy supernatural film, it also has a lot of heavy subject matter in it. And I think that's very important. I think it's, I think they're universal themes too, that everyone has probably felt or uh, d- dealt with once, at least once in their life. Hello and welcome back to Scream Addicts. I'm Jinx, your host, and that was Ashley Blackwell talking about Tibor Tokach's 1987 horror film, The Gate. Ms. Blackwell is a writer who has penned pieces for such print and online publications as Shock Till You Drop, Shadow and Act, Rue Morgue, The Guardian U.S., Black Girl Nerds, Birth Movies Death, Paris Cinema, and more. She also created Graveyard Shift Sisters, a website dedicated to highlighting and celebrating black women creators and fans in the horror community. Ms. Blackwell, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So, I gotta ask, given the option to choose any horror movie at all to talk about, why go with The Gate? Well, I just thought immediately um, just about what movies affected me as as a kid or what movies really stuck or stuck out to me as a child and the things I kind of remembered. And... um, the Gate was kind of a, a easy one for me because, again, it's not a movie that everyone talks about, number one. I think, I, well, from what I've heard a lot 
um, especially recently because The Gate is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year, um, a lot of horror fans are kind of revisiting, kind of doing those kind of retrospectives and kind of talking about the year that was 1987. And The Gate has come up. And so it's been on my mind. I think I've just bought the uh, new released Blu-ray this year as well. So it was something that was definitely prominent. I bought it earlier this year, but still um, a movie that I had watched um, just recently and hadn't seen in a very, very long time. And, you know, from when I was a child, I remember, again, like I said earlier, I just kind of remember those images and the, the effects, which the effects overall do not hold up very well, but certain certain aspects of what they did technically really, really do. And then seeing it as a child, I was in, I was in it for the fun of it. But then now seeing it as an adult, I'm like, whoa, there it's it was kind of, it was I had a kind of an emotional um, revelation while I was watching it more and more and more. Um, so I'm just really excited to kind of talk about those things and also just kind of talk about how the supernatural elements are kind of intertwined with those things. Yeah, I, I gotta admit, you just said that it's celebrating its 30th anniversary and I'm now realizing how very old I am. I grew up with that movie. I can't tell you how many times I watched it on VHS and I'm stunned that that was now three decades ago. So, um, (laughs) Yikes. Yeah, it's, you know, um, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about you mentioned that the movie is very much a gem. And I, you know, it's one of those overlooked gems, I think. It's not one of those movies that seems to be talked about quite as much, as you mentioned, like, say, a Monster Squad or Goonies or something like that. But, you know, hopefully with it being its anniversary and as you mentioned, with it being released on Blu-ray, I believe Vestron put it out. Yes. Um, so hopefully that'll shine more of a light on the film because I think it definitely deserves it. It's, uh, you know, the movie's so much a blast. And plus, I mean, it feels like now is the perfect time for people to revisit it, not because necessarily it's its anniversary and not even because of that Blu-ray that came out. But, you know, with us now being in kind of this post-Stranger Things, post-It world where fans are obsessed with the 80s and kids on bikes running afoul of creatures and monsters, it feels like this is the perfect time to revisit that movie. You know, it has that classic 80s kid monster movie you know look to it it's uh, I, I I would just be very surprised and very disappointed if it didn't catch you know new eyes as it were uh, this year or maybe within the next year at least you know that's my hope that's such a good point. You're absolutely right. It does kind of fit in with the times and the popularity of these particular kinds of uh, narratives within the genre. So that's that's an awesome point because I was just thinking about for I do a live tweet um, via the Twitter account for the brand I work on. And, you know, I, I've been wanting to do the gate for such a long time. It is not available streaming anywhere like for a larger for a, anyone who has uh, access to Netflix or Hulu or Amazon it's just not there and it's driving me insane because I look <laughs> every month to see if this movie is finally available and it never is because again I really want people to watch this again or see it for the first time and enjoy it and see something again I was also was thinking when you were t- just talking about how I don't know why I didn't jump off the way the um you know your Goonies or your Monster Squad did it to me, in comparison to those films, it, this the gate feels a hell of a lot darker. Because even seeing it as a kid, some of the, some of those images terrified me. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. If it wasn't as fa- family friendly, I'm not sure. It could be. It is. 
a really creepy movie. It's disturbing in a way. I mean, you know, I recall being a child watching the movie for the first time and thinking that it was a little more disturbing than, uh, you know, what I would consider a, a scary kids movie back in the 80s, something like The Monster Squad or The Goonies. It, it has more of an edge to it. And the creatures in it are genuinely disturbing and our lead hero, you know, the the Glenn played by Stephen Dorff, you know, he gets knocked around and he yeah. has the hell beaten out of him throughout the course of the movie, which is not something you would expect from, you know, an otherwise kid friendly movie. And plus, you know, you talked about some of the imagery, the eye in the hand mm-hmm. and stabbing it like I had nightmares over that <laughs> and uh, Rat Terry, you know, at, at one point in the movie biting Glenn's hand. So, yeah, maybe that is something that sort of... Um, held it back from being maybe a more beloved movie from that era because maybe it just terrified too many kids. Maybe they didn't make it that far into it. I'm glad I did. I, I can't tell you how many times I watched it uh, at a young age. But um, but yeah, but still, I, I, I would hope now that, you know, uh, adult fans would maybe go back and give it a shot because it's it's just right there. It's waiting to be rediscovered. We have a great Blu-ray release for people to check out finally. So there's really no reason now for people to uh, not flock to that film and finally give it a chance. Yeah, I hope so. I just, if I think if it, if it was available streaming or, because, you know, a Blu-ray is an investment, especially nowadays, and especially because digital media is kind of taking over. And I, I the thing, I, I I'm not, big on possessions but I think for me like um having blu-rays and that like that's kind of my that's what I'm going to spend money on that's kind of where I do the whole collector's thing so um but I think for a wider audience yeah I just hope it's again avail- available to rent or just you know something I just yeah I, I agree there's no other way of putting it besides if it was if if it was more readily available I think more people would get their eyes on it yeah, that's a very good point. If Netflix would pick it up, I think that – and you know what? They totally should. I mean, Stranger Things yeah. Season 2 is coming out. I mean, that would be a great lead-in for people to, uh, I don't know, sort of ease into the new season, I think, as opposed to, I don't know, simply rewatching the first season. But it definitely falls in that sort of vein of, you know, 80s monster movie kids. And not only that, but a type of story where – Kids can be legitimately in peril, which is something that you don't often see, especially these days. And, uh, you know, revisiting the movie for this chat, I was kind of surprised again by how much uh, our our hero, you know, little 12 year old, say, you know, Glenn is really sort of put through the ringer in a way that you wouldn't expect a child to be in any movie of this type. Yeah, I mean. Just again, watching it again um, just recently, the first I mean, if you think about even just the first scene, because the the immediate sequence that you get is of this little boy and he's asking for his mother, his his um, father and Al, which is his sister. I mean, she, her, her name is kind of shortening and androgynous, but we know she's a she's a girl. She could have been a boy. We didn't know that if, if you're watching it for the first time and kind of seeing it. But still, like a sibling or someone he's close to that that's in, that would be in his home and he's going through the home and. He's calling for them and no one's answering and no one's around. And, you know, he goes to into the kitchen and obviously someone was there, but no one is there anymore. And immediately you get this idea that this kid has this has this anxiety about being abandoned. And that's a running theme throughout the entire film about, you know, growing up and not being able to rely on the family unit that you 
that is is there and so close. And, you know, even just thinking about the whole supernatural element of it, it was like it was really it was really interesting how that 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 gate, so to speak, um, or whatever was in that gate was already manipulating him and kind of and he was already having these anxieties. And I think they were only exaggerated by the kind of supernatural events that leads to the crescendo of the final act. And that I guess that touches me deeply personally, because I've all I've consistently had those personal issues throughout my entire life as well. And so and that's what I love about horror films is that they they help you kind of confront that and kind of, you know, take a deep breath and say, you're not alone. And that's one of the, that's another big reason why I love this film. Wow. I don't, I, I gotta admit rewatching it again. I found it to be like, you know, a really fun movie, but I didn't really consider that there might be, you know, like a, a sort of deeper level to it. Now that you've pointed it out. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there is sort of this theme of fear of abandonment, you know, sort of running throughout it, not only with, you know, Glenn, but also with Terry, you know, that, that sort of, sad backstory that he has, you know, for having lost his mother and, you know, what his home life is now. Like, I I, I, I kind of want to rewatch the movie now with that eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, you mentioned Terry, which is even sadder because, okay, I, I'm a dog person. So seeing the dog dead, it was like, oh, geez, it was just another gut punch. Because, again, it was <laughs> like the, those, 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 those goddamn demons were manipulating, were manipulating this poor kid who lost his mother and kind of using that. And then, you know, it ends up being the dog and then the dog's dead. And, you know, and then that's even another thing that, you know, ha- is added to uh, Glenn's um, angst pot. You know, it was just all of these things on top. And again, his sister, another big part of it as well, um, you know, her her growing up, too. She's like, you know, I don't want to be Al anymore. I don't be Alexandria. So she's trying to, you know, she's figuring out, you know, this whole being growing up and being a woman thing and being interested in boys and, you know, kind of it takes her kind of away from her relationship with her brother a little bit because she kind of wants to have kind of a little bit of independence. And, you know, so there's the so there's those kind of, you know, crisscrossy interrelationships kind of going on as well. And of course, which is which I'm which is kind of really nice is kind of she kind of comes back to her brother a little bit. She kind of says, you know what, let me not just always think about myself, even though I really do want to grow up. But, you know, he's here too and I still love him and care about him and you know when she bought him that rocket um you know after going out with her friends and she comes back and you know let's spend time together I mean I think that's important too um and I just it's it's it's, again it's it's a really fun movie but it has these really like sweet heartwarming moments that mean a lot more I feel yeah and it makes the characters three-dimensional in a way too I think one could imagine a version of this movie where you know, the, the sister is always at odds with Glenn and is always sort of, uh, you know, maybe there's always sort of conflict there between the two. And she could have been very one note. But the fact that they made her sort of a uh, uh, just believably nice in a way, like she's not, you know, perfect by any stretch and she doesn't always get along with him, but she does try. And I, I think the kids are all well written in that regard. They feel like real kids and not movie kids in a way. Right. And I do love that for it. And I I think a big part of that isn't merely the writing and direction, but also the performances from all of the kids are really, really good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Steven Dorf um, earns his paycheck, especially towards the (laughs) end, because when he's when he has that kind of that he has this kind of arc and that breakdown. It's just like, you know, that was that that was Oscar worthy. I'm sorry. It just was. He, it's crazy to see him in this movie, like, so very young. And it reminds me that, you know, he is a really great actor and was even as a kid. But it's weird, you know, he 
he survived that transition from child actor to, you know, acting as an adult. And he's a great performer. He's been in bigger movies, but he, he never quite attained sort of an A-list level. You know, arguably, I mean, you know, maybe some people would say he did. But, you know, in any case, it's cool to see that even as a child, he had real talent. And, you know, he gives such a great performance in it. Most of the time I spent watching it, I was thinking to myself, okay, how old was he when he did this movie? So I'm trying to figure out between then and Blade. I'm just like, like, how old was he when he did Blade? Like I said, I kept doing that throughout the entire film, like trying to do the math in my head and I can't do math. So I thought that was fun. <laughs> I had to, but, if I had to guess, I would say he's maybe 12 in this, which would have put him at, I don't know, what would you say? Maybe 24 or 25 when he was in Blade, which is insane because. Yeah, because I think they're like 10. I think those movies were probably filmed or released 10 years apart from each other. So, yeah. Yeah. Almost. I I can't even imagine. Like, to me, he will always be like, I, I don't know. You watch Blade and he seems like such a convincing immortal in a way like he's kind of bratty in a way yeah, but it also absolutely. seems like he's weary in a way that somebody who would have to be very very old would be and i don't know i don't think he gets enough credit for how damn good he is in blade i think he's one of the best villains any marvel movie ever had before you know marvel became sort of a i don't know shared universe but he's he's incredible in that film yeah and blade is again is another one of those treasures that don't get that doesn't get talked about enough i mean i think it has a has a solid fan base but it didn't it doesn't have that kind of this blow up so to speak uh it's not like zeitgeisty as like you know guardians of the galaxy or the avengers or anything like that but it's definitely worthy of that kind of notoriety because of what it started so absolutely absolutely. we wouldn't i mean we wouldn't have the mcu if it weren't for spider-man we wouldn't have spider-man if it weren't for x-men and i i think honestly arguably we wouldn't have had x-men if it weren't for blade uh, right done so well and it, it is it's kind of sad that you know i i remember when blade came out i was a teenager i watched it i loved it and it felt like a kind of an important moment for movies where you know i was seeing something that i hadn't seen before in films it was kind of the same feeling that i got just a few months later with uh, the matrix in a way and uh, it felt like action movies had shifted in in a sense. And, uh, you know, Blade did very well. And then I love Blade 2 as well. You know, I love what mm-hmm. Del Toro did with that. But you're right. As, as big as those movies seemed and as important as they seemed when they came out, you're right. They don't get talked about that much. And they don't sort of they've, – they've receded into the background. They weren't necessarily – overlooked gems when they came out but they've kind of become that in a way which is strange to think considering how popular they once were and i wonder if part of it is due to the fact that unlike certain other franchise characters that blade hasn't really been revisited in the last gosh what has it been it's been over a decade since the tv show spinoff so yeah i i don't know why either um I think people like the two, the especially the first two movies for what they are. Again, it's one of those things that you kind of, it's kind of like, kind of like what they did with Troll Two, how they had these like little screenings so they keep the movie alive, even though it's a terrible movie. That Blade is not a terrible movie, <laughs> but again, I think with a lot of people who are fans of particular films, that they feel like, why isn't anyone talking about this movie as much? And you know, they kind of we we kind of keep the screenings of of them circulating. I don't know. I can't I, I can't pinpoint the where's of the where's what's or why's, but I just again Blade and Stephen Dorf and Blade are some of the best things in cinema that especially in the late nineties. Absolutely. And well maybe people will start talking about it again soon next year when it has its 
20th anniversary. Possibly, yes. Uh, more, more, more than likely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but but Dwarf is really great. And he, you know, he's been fantastic in a lot of things. You know, uh, he's great as a child in this. He was great in Blade. You know, uh, Cecil B. Demented. Um, even stuff like, I don't know, like Fear.com and Cold Creek Manor, movies that maybe <laughs> weren't 100% successful. Like, he always puts in great performances. And I'm very curious to see him in... Uh, you know, the new Leatherface, which I haven't gotten around to checking oh, out yet. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he plays what appears to be a, you can't call him the movie's hero because he looks sort of, I don't know, in a way as terrifying as the, you know, he plays a lawman and who's chasing after the, uh, the, the family, the evil cannibal family. And he looks, I don't know, driven to a degree. He reminds me of the... Um, uh, the, the the villainous lawman character from The Devil's Rejects. Like, that seems to be oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. sort of cloth that he's cut from. So I'm very curious to see how his performance is in that. Now that you say that, I can, now I can't think, now I can't imagine. I'm surprised Rob Zombie didn't do this leather face. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've had this conversation with people before. It seems like he was put onto the wrong franchise to remake. I mean... It, Thank you. It, it, I, you know, and I... Here's the thing. I like zombie stuff even when i don't think it's 100 percent successful um i don't think his halloween really worked i loved his halloween too when he finally decided to not make a halloween movie and to just do a rob zombie film i thought there was a lot of great stuff in that but you know if you look at his aesthetic how does that guy not get a texas chainsaw like i yeah it it, it seems so it would be a match made in I, hell, probably. But um, I would, I would totally watch a Rob Zombie Texas Chainsaw. But who knows where the franchise is going? Who knows where's, you know, who knows where his career is going? Because after thirty one, I'm curious to see what he does next. Um, as opposed to doing something like I don't know, what's he been rumored? Uh, I have, or, I have no idea. I, I heard him on uh, Rick, uh, Mick, Mick Harris's postmortem. He didn't say anything about making another movie, so I don't know. Maybe he's just kind of doing his music right now. Is he still doing music? <laughs> I don't even know. I wow, good question. Uh, he released an album. I think it was a year or two ago, uh, maybe two years ago. But uh, yeah, he there for a while in the mid aughts. I mean, he was releasing an album. He had movies. He had comic books, and it seems like he's. I don't know. Slowed down a bit. But uh, I, I again, even when his stuff isn't that successful, I still appreciate the fact that it's very much him. You know, he yeah. his rough edges have not been sanded off yet. He he hasn't sort of I don't think he's ever done something for the paycheck. And I got to say that I appreciate that about him. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe. Oh God, I can only imagine what a Rob Zombie version of the Gate would be. Um, <laughs> oh, good to God! I don't know. I can't. No. <laughs> what What would the kids be like? Like I'm flashing to the first twenty minutes. They would of be Halloween. the most crass, talking, vile, bullying. <laughs> oh God, they'd be they'd be pitiful. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have brought that up, but. Uh... <laughs> But, you know, I mean, you know, going back to Steven Dorff, he's great in the movie. But also, you know, we were talking about the other actors, too. Louis Tripp as Terry, I think, is pretty fantastic, too. And you you see him and you, I don't know, you immediately sort of think of the kids from Stranger Things, you know, who are sort of like overly enthusiastic about 
you know, certain things in a nerdy sort of way, but in a believable sort of way, I think. You know, he reminds me a lot of myself when I was that age, <laughs> if I'm being honest. And, uh, you know, but it, it's interesting that he could have simply been the comic relief if the movie chose for him to be that. And yet he is given that really sad backstory and it gives the movie a little more weight than you would otherwise expect, I think. Yeah, it, he he was more of a straight man. Like he, I really liked him because he was hell hell bent, uh, no pun intended, on you know kind of kind of being very matter of fact about what what exactly is going on with the whole you know uh, hole in the backyard situation and, and all this weird stuff that's um, been happening with everything. So and I kind of liked that, and I also kind of just liked you know even with the uh, the two bratty sisters, I kind of liked his little like. Um, his little one-liners like you know i think when they were and even even with al like i was going to mention that, the other thing about al not to not to uh veer away from um uh terry but just kind of say i kind of liked how the, both terry and al put those little girls in their place like al would tell them to <laughs> shut up <laughs> and then terry would be like you know i forget i forget the line but he says something really funny about like you know oh yeah can someone knock her out again or something like that like i think that's really <laughs> funny because it's just like no there there's shit going down we need to handle this it's not time to be his it's not the time to be hysterical and i really kind of i like that about her character especially as a as a, as a uh as a young woman character in the film and even him as a young boy, just kind of, you know, again, facing his own fears. And I, the, the, his, his backstory was really sad because even when he goes home, he, you know, he sees the, the, uh, the, the, the note on the refrigerator about his father being away. And it's like, kind of like, you know, he kind of does this kind of like huffing, like, yeah, typical, like, you know, he's not here again. An- another character next to, um, next to Glenn that has these abandonment issues and, and the parents aren't around and, you know, his, his mother passed away. And, and it's funny because his, that backstory was kind of like a lead into like the, the later situation with the whole idea of the, uh, of the, of the story about the, uh, the uh, worker and the, and Glenn's wall so and then and then about how his father explained it which I thought was a really dick move like why would you (laughs) his his father says something about oh well his mom's dead so he wants to make everyone else around him miserable I mean that was my interpretation and it's just like god have some sympathy but you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah the parents are kind of like, you know, for what little bit they're in the film, they're kind of ineffectual in a way. At best, I think. At worst, I think you're right. Maybe, you know, their presence is almost damaging in a way. But, you know, it's interesting that the film sort of dispenses with any sort of parental figures very early on. And then it's, you know, the entire story is sort of carried by the kids. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I like that because they, they drive all of the action. Um what was I thinking? I was, I, I can't get these, really, the gate is so great at pacing and these, and the little, they're, they're very, if you, they can be easily missed, but not, maybe not so much, but I, like, it's the things that I noticed when I was a kid and even now that still creep me out. Like, for example, like the pictures on the wall when you're, go, when they're going downstairs into the basement, there's this one family picture and then they show it. It's the, it's a regular family picture, mom, dad, Glenn and Al. And then later on when everything is, is really going haywire, that same picture has like this, like, like the mom, dad, and Al just look dead and they have blood on them. It's, I'm like, what the hell? Like, you know, I think the, the movie does a really, like, plays with mythology really well. Is this, this idea that, 
you know, uh, demons or, uh, or otherworldly beings can manipulate your reality and manipulate what you think you're seeing, even if it's even if it's real or not real. And I just that's just so trippy to me. And it really I think that's been the thing that has freaked me out since I was a kid. I don't know why I didn't necessarily grow up religious I, um, at all. But um, those kind of like I, that's why I always love supernatural tales because it, it does that. It kind of play, your mind plays tricks on you. And and when you're a kid, your imagination is all over the place. It's much more broader because you, you're not, you're, you don't have to confront logic as much because your brain is still developing. So your mind can go anywhere with anything. And so I think the gate does that beautifully. It really does. And I think, you know, the, 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 the villains as it were of the piece, you know, are more threatening when they are simply, you know, sort of psychologically messing with their prey as opposed to being, you know, a physical threat as they are later in the film, you know, when they're, well, when they can conjure up, you know, a kid's mother and, you know, they can coerce him into holding what is essentially a dead dog for a horrific reveal or, you know, when they do mess with the, the others, it's just, it's mean <laughs> in a way. Yeah, kind it of really is. And it really Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, like, it is. It's it's mean in a way that you wouldn't expect out of a movie like this, and out of the villains. It's like what there is something about them that's sort of horribly mischievous. I think, and uh, it it sort of it makes them, I don't know, so much more vile. I think as a result. I totally agree, and I and I love the. It's a testament to the the strength of the kids. I I don't even think that they realize that they had themselves. Um, again, just dealing with all of these uh, certain issues, and again, another one is grief as well. You know, all of these different like they're dealing with some real adult issues, um, even as kids, and they're still able to, you know, persist and they're, st- and they're still like, no, we have to fight this, you know, whether they want to or not. I mean, they even, I, I never really saw a struggle with them with that. It was just kind of just like, there was, there was always, they were always trying to look for an avenue to stop whatever might happen. Like constantly, there was this constant, like, you know, this, this false, we did it. And then, but no, they didn't do it. So there's, there's, it, it was, it, it spiraled into that. It, Obviously, it is Glenn's story, and it turns into that. But all three of them, when his when his sister comes in comes into it, they really they really try to make sure that this whatever is going on doesn't just just spiral out of control, and they can save themselves, and even they save the world. And I think that's really neat. That's really, it's a testament to how strong. Again, it's one of those messages. You're you're a lot stronger than you realize sometimes. So. Yeah, absolutely. And Glenn definitely has to find that out by the end. It, it did, you know, it is curious when I rewatched the film, I I don't know that I considered that the other two had been, you know, in a way, kind of the co-leads of the film, you know, not simply they're in a supporting capacity, but they have, you know, they kind of have their own arcs. They are as equally as important, I would think, as Glenn throughout the bulk of the movie. So part of me was kind of disappointed that, it ultimately becomes simply Glenn's story in the finale. And yet at the same time, I think you're right. I think the fact that it does become Glenn's story and solely Glenn's story at the end kind of reinforces that fact. I think you could, you need to have a protagonist, I think, who is sort of cut away from every sort of support system that he has in order to kind of prove his mettle in a way. Yeah. And again, it, 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 it ties into the mythology really well, too. They made it they made it pretty easy. They needed the two human sacrifices. Who is it going to be? Of course, Terry and Al. And then, you know, uh, 
Glenn realizing that he was that, you know, this, this, you know, innocent kid, you know, cute, you know, it's all, it's all, again, it's all about the, the typical kind of dogma of, um, only a, only a pure person can defeat, can, can defeat pure evil. I, you know, if simple, it's simple enough. And again, I think it, it really does tie into like why this is a, why this is a kind of, it's a darker kids movie, but it's definitely a, a, a kids movie that you could take something away from message wise. I don't know if I, I, I will not even dare say I took something away from this subconsciously as a child. I don't know. My, I don't know if I was really <laughs> like grasping onto it that much, maybe a little bit. Cause like I said, I think, um, uh, abandonment and fear of it and loneliness is something that has been a lifelong struggle for me. And so it, I definitely felt that I felt that as a kid, definitely. And when you can't, when you don't know how to really control those emotions or grasp on it again, horror was that vehicle for me to kind of, you know, give, give, give my, give my set myself in a way, some kind of balance and to kind of like look at other um, narratives and avenues to deal with certain issues. Yeah, and I think I wonder if as kids, you know, uh, watching movies like this in the 80s and 90s and, you know, how kids must watch movies today. Like even if a child can't grasp what, say, the subtext of a certain movie is, you know, I, I have to imagine it's therapeutic in some way to just see a child their own age, you know, facing adversity and, you know, sort of overcoming evil as it were. You know, it's to project onto a child hero, you know, and I, you know, I know it was certainly the case with me. I, I, I think that's probably why I gravitated towards movies like the monster squad and, you know, uh, movies like that. So I, I think the gate must've certainly been that way as well for me. And it sounds like for you as well. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a running theme with a lot of like child friendly work, no, regardless of the genre. And I, I, I agree. Um, yeah, because, you know, not everyone can has has the stomach for uh, horror, but maybe sci fi, maybe comedy, maybe, maybe, you know, drama and all those other things. And it's the same story, but just kind of a different context. And but yeah, for me, it's always been horror because it's the most extreme, like, you know, like, you know, digging yourself out of the most extreme extreme circumstances and showing strength to me has been it's it, it's for it 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 creates a hierarchy in my brain for me, especially as a kid. Because I'm like, no, they're dealing with some real shit. You know, <laughs> no one's laughing, no one's crying. Every you know, they're like, no, let's fight um this evil thing. And so I, I, I like that much more. But yeah, I mean, different strokes for 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 different people. So, but um. I guess the, yeah, I, I think that's how I feel about the gate overall. And yeah, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I, I do really, really enjoy the movie. And I, but, you know, we were talking about Lewis Tripp a second ago as Terry. And I got to ask, I, you know, this movie was written by Michael Nankin or Nankin. Uh, it was directed by, is it Tibor uh, Tokach? Um, that was a pronunciation I found. Uh, sir, if you're listening out there, and I mispronounce your name, I do apologize. But you did a very good job directing this movie. Having said that, the two of them returned for uh, the second Gate film, and uh, which didn't star Stephen Dorff. It starred Louis Tripp as Terry again, this time as a teenager. And I have to ask, did you see that film when you were younger as well? I didn't see that when I was younger. I think recently I was... Um... 
I was watching an, an actress, her name is Pamela Adlon, and I was watching her new show, and I was kind of like, let me see, because I know she had been acting since she was a kid, too. And I was like, well, let me see what else she's been in. And sure enough, she was in The Gate, too. And I was like, dude, I need to watch that again. I saw it as an adult, <laughs> but it was a very long time ago. I don't remember much from it, but I'm like, I, it's on my mental list. I was like, I need to watch that again. Even though I don't remember it being that great, I just still want to see it. Yeah, I remember as a kid being sort of, just really excited that that movie had a sequel and so i couldn't wait to uh to check it out and you know of course i rented the vhs and i popped it in and uh i remember being sort of deeply disappointed by it by the time i got to the end of it but that said the fact that i you know just recently revisited the first movie again i would love to check out the second film now to give it a you know, uh, another shot, uh, because maybe I, I got to admit I was a little disappointed that Glenn wasn't the hero, you know, and he was sort of gone and it was only Terry this time around. And I think the movie probably had a lower budget than the first one. It seemed a little bit, you know, more cheap, as it were. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I, I, I kind of want to give it a, a fair shake, as it were. And uh, unfortunately, I I don't know that I'll be able to because uh, it still hasn't been released to DVD or Blu-ray. Hopefully Vestron you know, might consider sort of saving and re-releasing that one as well. It might still be on YouTube. I think that's where I saw it. So, really? Okay. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, but he, he gave a great performance in the first movie. I can't recall much of him in the second, but um, but that said, I mean, you know, he, he was solid in that movie and the entire cast was, you know, we have, Krista Denton as Al and I think she's equally as strong as you know the two younger characters and we also have the um, oh gosh I don't have all of the actors names here but even the surrounding cast are very good I know that Kelly Rowan played one of the uh, oh one of Al's friends the one with the sort of uh, there's something about Mary hairdo um, uh, oh, oh she's one of the one of the Lee sisters yeah yeah who would you know she went on to give a very good performance in um Oh, the second Candyman film. She played uh, Annie in it. Oh, you're so right. That is her. It blew my mind she... uh, when I realized that, you know, I I knew that that was Kelly Rowan. But when I was looking through the cast list for this movie, I was like, Kelly Rowan, who is that? And then once I pressed play, I was like, no, no, she yeah. is not the annoying friend of, you know, Al. So. Now that you say that, okay, I can, I remember, I, I remember the face. I'm like, yeah, that's totally her. Yeah. Yeah, but even even she's great. I mean, the movie is solid performance-wise all the way around. And although, <laughs> I got to say, some of those surrounding characters, the supporting characters, they do, uh, they sort of exist, I think, to underline the fact that maybe not everything in the 80s, you know, maybe it wasn't all that great. You know, kids on bikes, sure, and the music and, you know, practical effects and all of that. But then you have you have some of the clothing and <laughs> some of the hair and, you know, the especially Rowan's hair. And it. it's just I just wow. And, uh, you know, the <laughs> fact that uh, to get a little uh, dodgy here, the fact that one of the characters sort of casually calls another character a fag. In yeah, and, I remember that. You know, another calls someone else retarded. And, you know, I you hear a few things like that throughout the movie. And, you know, watching it again, I hadn't revisited it in a while. Hearing some of that stuff in the movie, it was kind of like a slap in the face. It's like, oh, wow. Oh, they, yeah, they, they said that stuff back then like it was yeah. nothing. And you would not expect a genre movie, any movie, really, today 
to be able to get away with that. I mean, even going back to, uh, you know, much earlier on in this podcast's history, we discussed uh, myself and another group. We talked about Freddy versus Jason and, uh, you know, the infamous line near that and uh, near the end of that. And, uh, you know, even in 2003, you know, people were sort of able to let that stuff slip by. But I don't think, Mm -hmm. you know. We're definitely in a different time now, thank goodness. And uh, I, I think if there were to be a gate remake, we would likely expect to see those lines completely excised. <laughs> yeah, I, I that stood out to me too. I just, I, I did chalk it up to it being of the times. Like, and there's nothing. Yeah, there's, there's, and that's kind of the beginning and the end of that. And it's, it is not right, but it, it, it is what it was. Um, yeah, a lot of people, because I remember even hearing, and this was maybe not too long ago, I was just listening to another person kind of like talk about their life and their story. It was a comedian. And he was kind of just talking about when he joined a fraternity. Um, and that was that's kind of the that was kind of the term that they would use um, for people who were pledging call, to constantly, especially for the men, call, to call them the F word, to kind of like, that's kind of like your, your hazing or part of your initiation. And yeah, again, it was, it was something that people used to do, hopefully not as much anymore or at all, but... Yeah, that definitely stood out to me as well. Um, even with Freddy versus Jason, I'm trying to figure out who thought. Oh, okay, I'm not even going to get into my issues with that film as a whole. But like, <laughs> number one, who who thought that line was a good idea? Like, I'm trying. Like, and I've and I've saw and I've seen the documentaries, and I'm still haven't gotten an answer that I'm satisfied with or an answer at all. But uh, yeah, because yeah. apparently it wasn't even a scripted line oh uh, dear it was, it was never meant to be in there in the first place or there you know she had another line uh to begin with before i i don't know did somebody just call that line out who thought that was a great idea you know and yet not only was it said not only was it filmed you know but it made it into the final cut and it played in theaters as recently as 2003 and that's still kind of stunning to me oh boy <laughs> I, I have no. The, if I start talking about Freddy versus Jason, this is gonna get. It's just, this is just a <laughs> rabbit hole we don't want. Fair enough. So, <laughs> I uh, yeah, I Freddy versus Jason. Um, I I do like some of it. I I think I remember when it came out. I I'm sorry. I we probably shouldn't talk about Freddy versus Jason. No, I would never. Get, no, I, I would never give anyone any grief for liking Freddy versus Jason. I just have. I think my obnoxious nerd comes out with that movie because <laughs> because I, I I was one of those people. You know when the internet was still like very very new and people were putting you know scripts or concepts or ideas on the stone age of the internet and like all of these ideas about Freddy versus Jason, Freddy versus Jason. And I was like 13 years old and I was like, yeah, this sounds awesome. And there were some really solid ideas where they were kind of bringing, they were kind of streamlining both franchises. They were being consistent and bringing back old characters that we knew and making this really, these really cool plots on how to kind of combine the, 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 the both of the films and both of the mythologies. And I thought they were really great. And we got what we got in 2003. And I'm just like, but wait a minute, y'all had better ideas than this. Why are you doing this? <laughs> so I was just, <laughs> so that's why. Yeah, definitely. I, I will admit the movie that we got sort of paled in comparison to some of the crazier ideas that they had. And the, uh, you know, some of the screenplays that were released online are sort of leaked. Like the, uh, I think it was the Peter Briggs draft that had, you know, this massive singularity, you know, that was sort of destroying reality, you know, on yeah. top of the Freddy versus Jason storyline. And, you know, the, uh, oh, like the cult 
uh, of Fred Heads. I remember that one, yeah. It's... I, all of those things sort of make for great what ifs. I think the most painful one, not even being Freddy versus Jason, but the sequel uh, that was never meant to be Freddy versus Jason versus Ash, which uh, mm-hmm. I would have um, I would have given an arm to see. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm still stunned all these years later that um, there was never a follow up or, you know, the the as successful as that movie was. The only movies we've gotten out of either franchise since were reboots that never really went anywhere. And that's kind of stunning to me. Well, we know the Nightmare remake, as overall, was just not successful with a lot of people. So that's probably why that was on hold. Now I'm hearing rumblings about them wanting to revive the franchise, which I just wish they just wouldn't. But that's me. <laughs> um, with Jason, I really like the idea of the whole, like, let's go to the cabins cabins in the wintertime. I, I like that idea. But they didn't do that, and I heard found footage, and then I heard we heard a TV show, and, and I, they don't know what to do with Jason either. So, and it, I can't believe they've managed to overthink that concept for the better part of a decade. It's like it's mm-hmm. not that hard. God bless them for trying to do something out of the box, but you know what? At some point, you just got to make the damn movie. Um, <laughs> I, and I say that as somebody who's not even that big of a Friday the Thirteenth fan. So, I don't know. How, wow, how did we get here? Um, I don't even know. I was just thinking that. I'm just like, wow. No, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, this this happens. And, you know, I, I, I talk about this a lot with people. It's really uh, it's really a, a wonderful thing when I or probably any other horror thing is to talk about horror in general with anyone because we still, you know, you still you live your everyday life and not everyone is so into this kind of stuff like we are. Like you go to work, you do this, you do that. You have to interact with your family, uh, God forbid, and all these other different things. And like you. You don't, you don't get that like camaraderie of horror usually um unless you're lucky unless this it is your like full-time job for a lot of us it isn't so to get to just kind of just talk about anything and everything i i enjoy that oh same here it's it's part of the reason i love to do this podcast because it uh you know when i was a teenager my first job sort of uh out of the gate was working at a movie theater and of course movie theaters draw movie nerds and i worked there for a decade and a half and so every day that i went to work i was surrounded by movies and talking movies and eventually i moved on and i found that that doesn't happen at other jobs you know i'm currently working at a bank at the moment and um, <laughs> it is very hard to find fellow movie fans who can talk at length about anything there was a, it's so strange there was just a guy who came in today who's I don't know, uh, sort of a regional manager, and I happened to mention some movie, and for the next 20 minutes, he and I were rapping back and forth about every possible horror movie we could, as though neither one of us had managed to talk horror movies with anyone for ages. <laughs> and meanwhile, you know, my supervisor's just kind of like, we, we need you back to your station. We need, and I'm like, I, it, 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 I, come on, please, give me this. <laughs> This is I've worked here for a week and I feel like I've been starved of horror movie conversation, you know. Um, And so that's why I love doing this podcast. It's great to be able to chat, you know, not just a single horror movie, but to have those sort of great uh, digressions, you know, that you have in real life when you chat about a movie after you've watched it with friends. You know, inevitably there are detours to be taken. Oh, always. <laughs> yeah, but I but going back to the gate, you know, we were talking about the 80sness of it and, you know, a big part of that I think are the practical effects which are so much fun and I it's I get a thrill out of seeing movies of that era because that seemed to me to be the point where so much money 
was being dumped into realizing these things on screen, even for smaller movies. But there were so many advances happening, it seemed, with practical effects. You know, going on into the 90s before CG was introduced. And it seems like, you know, whenever we do get practical effects, they haven't really progressed that much since. You know, we're we're sort of in a holding pattern with where those are. We might always be there because inevitably people are probably going to want to... I don't know, cut corners and use CG instead. So it's always nice to go back and see, you know, uh, some of these effects in their heyday, as it were, like the the arms reaching out from under the bed and, mm-hmm. you know, Glenn's fake parents falling apart in the goo. Oh, and, uh, that was one of those moments for me. Yeah. It's, uh, oh. I get giddy when I see stuff like that. <laughs> but, uh, and, you know, I mean, there is also some pretty dodgy sort of pre-CG optical effects in there, but even those are charming in a way that CG just isn't to me. And I hate to sound like an old man when I say that, but you know, it's, it's true for me. I just, I will always prefer the look of practical effects and optical effects because they're handmade and they're, even if they're not realistic, I can believe them more than, you know, any bit of photorealistic CG in the frame. No, I feel the same way. Um, I think it's also a testament to the great direction because there's a lot of different things that he does even with the little demon guys like there's the the one scene towards the end where there's this really like dramatic um close-up towards one of them and he's like watching al and glenn from the banister upstairs and i'm like oh that's creepy like he like he makes the like we all know what we're seeing is fake and it definitely shows um its age when you watch the film in its entirety, but it's the way certain effects are used and portrayed that really kind of magnifies the terror. Um, even you mentioned the parents, and that was another one of those creepy moments again. Even as an adult, where I'm just like, oh God, I just want to sleep tonight. It's just, it's really, it's really weird because I'm like, he thinks it's his parents, and then the the whatever whatever that figure is that's manipulating him just tries to choke him and it falls and face falls apart and that's it, it's a really good effect and it's just oh it's creepy yeah it, this movie is really yeah i don't know if it's for kids this movie would be terrifying for kids man <laughs> we it, it would be now i think uh we kids in the 80s had to be tougher i think when it came to i agree <laughs> <laughs> i totally yeah. agree like, you know, the stop motion in it looks so cool, especially those little demons, you know, running around. It made the film look like, I don't know, kind of an early 90s full moon flick to me. And that's a good thing, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, or, or even like, you know, some of the creativity used with realizing some of those moments, like the ghoul sort of falling apart. And, you know, the moment he hits the floor, he bursts into those little demons. And then, you know, the 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 arm getting severed in the door and then turning yeah, into those worms. Yeah, it's a sperm, cut. yeah. It's just, it's so strange, but so cool. And uh, I don't know, I'm a broken record, and, you know, I'm far, far from the only horror fan to say this, but I really wish filmmakers could find their way back to doing big effects like that practically. I, I, I oh, God, I wish they would. I'm assuming it's time was more just more time consuming. I I can't. I, I hear what you're saying, and I do agree. I mean, I it's because you can kind of tell when certain you can tell when you're now. Um, if you watch enough movies, and you and you can and you can tell like what's practical and what's you know digitized, and you know just kind of thinking about the ideas of, you know, would that have worked better if they had just done something practical? Would it have, would it have been much more effective? Because I think filmmaking. 
I'm not a filmmaker, but I, I would imagine that filmmaking is really about kind of getting that visceral reaction from an audience, like you, making something be an imprint in their brain. So they so at last and you take it with them and they encourage other people to see your film and you want to have that effect. And especially with genre films, it's really a lot of it is about creating this this effect, this kind of unnatural uh, scenario or this creature or this situation and make it something that seems real or that something that could happen or may have happened and i think you know practical effects are that i think that i think that's why a movie specifically like the gate has stuck with me for such a long time because of those images and how they utilize them and how they used effects to make it you know to make it look especially the eye and the hand it looks real like that looked real to me and it still looks real to me i watched it just <laughs> this afternoon and i'm like that looks like that looks real and i swear to god there have been moments in my life where i've looked at the palm of my hand and thought oh my god what if there's an there, what if there's an eye there and that's what films are supposed to do make you think that you have an eye on your palm <laughs> <laughs> no i i, I agree i you know it it does seem to me you pointed out something there and i i I would agree with you. There is this idea, I think, that back then it wasn't merely a matter of getting through a moment or realizing a moment just for the sake of coherence, just for the sake of telling a story. But they wanted to craft something that was impressive with those effects. And I get the feeling with CG these days that it's just a matter of when it's not trying to impress, you know, it's it just feels like. I don't know, like they're trying to stitch one moment to the next, like they it's almost an afterthought or a throwaway moment. Like you can tell there isn't much passion put into. And I'm not saying that about all movies. I'm not saying that that was even necessarily the intent or lack thereof. But I have yet to see a really great CG effect that could wow me as much as anything I've seen in, say, I don't know, John Carpenter's The Thing. There is no CG effect. I, I, CG can realize massive, you know, transforming robots on screen or worlds being destroyed or, you know, any number of things. And yet none of that's as impressive as, you know, really well shot, well directed latex and rubber and just creativity being poured into something that was shaped by a craftsman's hands. You know, I... Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Again, I'm I'm a broken record on that. I just I wish we could see more of that. And whenever we do see practical effects these days, it's always I don't know. It's it's jaw dropping to me. It's surprising to me because because we get so very little of it these days. Right. Like a head a head turning into a spider. I think the John Carpenter's the thing is the the best example of practical effects and Absolutely. I'm sure it's a model for a lot of people. I know recently I think The Void that film was all practical or mostly practical from what has been purported about it. I haven't seen it in a while, but there was definitely a lot of practical effects in that movie. And I, and again, you know, I appreciated that so much more. The movie was so much more effective, I think as a result. Yeah, I I did. I did really enjoy it. I haven't seen it in a while, but definitely remember um, having a good time with it Um, again. So I think you're right. I, I think, I think CG is really good for kind of world building and doing different things. But especially when you're creating creatures, it's much more fun to see something that's a little bit more actualized and uh, hands-on. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely do. Now, I got to ask, I 
you know, I pointed out I hadn't seen the gate in a while and it was fun to revisit it for this conversation, you know. Um, and although I practically grew up watching movies like, you know, the gate, uh, you know, movies like, say, The Monster Squad and Lost Boys, you know, I would watch those movies over and over and over again. But revisiting it, I was happy to see that it really held up. And other movies from my childhood, you know, that's not necessarily the case. They don't always fare so well. You know, I'll always love the monster squad, but say, you know, just using those two examples I did, you know, oh, and I might catch hell for this, but the lost <laughs> boys, maybe not so much. Wow. You know, I, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I just, I don't connect to that movie in the way that I did as a kid. You know, there was a time where myself and a friend, you know, there was a sleepover where we watched that movie like three or four times back to back to back. And, you know, I adored that flick. And then when I grew up and revisited it, I was like, Oh, you know, I'm not I'm not completely on board with this anymore. Whereas I can watch the Monster Squad or the Gate and I can still feel like that six year old or that eight year old watching that movie for the first time. But, you know, and it's not just the case with those three movies. I mean, that's true of many, many movies. I am often a little wary of revisiting certain movies that I loved as a kid because I'm afraid of how I'll feel about them now. But I got to ask, do you have any movies like that? Are there any horror movies that you can recall vividly sort of growing up with that maybe don't hold up for you so much that well anymore? That's a really good question. I can't think of any off the top of my head. I think of a couple of TV shows, but that's going to go way off topic. But um, no, please go ahead. Oh my God. Um, real quick. I'm not, not to get too much off the topic, but I remember Family Matters is terrible. Like, <laughs> oh my God, that show is awful. And I liked it as a kid. And then I saw it as an adult because it's been an indication. I'm just like, we watched this and we thought it was good. That Saved by the Bell, I'm sorry, does not uh, hold up very well at all either. That was <laughs> my a, favorite no. television show as a kid. And I caught a rerun. Or I don't even think it was a rerun. I think I sought out clips online after was Jimmy Fallon had some sort of weird reunion with everybody. And <laughs> that reunion made me grin ear to ear because I'd recalled loving that show so much as a kid. And then I actually started watching clips online and I was like, Oh, Mm-mm. Oh, this is not, <laughs> this is not good at all. Mm-mm, no, it isn't. I, um, again, real quick. No, I think, cause I will always, that's why I always, I always like California dreams better. Cause I actually, do, I actually <laughs> can watch that. I can watch that as an adult and then still enjoy it. But a horror movie. No, I think everything, almost everything that I enjoyed as a kid, even the crazy bad shit full moon stuff. I still like watching, like I'll still go to like the full moon table at a convention and I'll buy a couple of Blu-rays because like, Oh yeah, I remember this movie as a kid and I said, I'll watch it and I'll still kind of enjoy it. It's terrible most of the time, but I still like it for just what it is. And so, yeah, yeah there's something I mean, about nostalgia. I think that allows us to forgive sir, because I know what you mean. Like I, I was just bas- bashing, you know, the lost boys a second ago. And yet at the same time, I'll admit freely that, I can pop in a subspecies or a puppet master movie, you know, any day of the week and be completely fine with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the Lost Boys, I still enjoy it. I don't I won't I won't watch it as frequently as many other people, but a lot of people still hold that movie in high regard. I still enjoy it and like it. Um I need to give it another it. shot, maybe, because it has been a while. Even, you know, I think the last time I caught it, I tried to give it a shot in college. And that's when I realized I was like, oh, this movie is maybe not for me anymore. But you know what? That was a decade and a half ago. So maybe I'll have come back around to it, you know, when I give it another shot. I would say give it another shot, especially if you liked it as a kid. Yeah. Okay. I'll give The Lost Boys another shot. <laughs> I, I don't know that I'll be able to watch two and three. 
Uh, I saw the trailers back when the movies came out. I don't know that I can, I can go that far. But yeah, I've never even seen them. So because just the trailers alone, it's like I'll pass. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You know, speaking of like sequelizing movies like that, like. Of course, we had The Gate 2, which came out not long after the original movie that we're talking about. But could you imagine any sequels or follow-ups to The Gate or even a reboot working? And if so, where would you like to see the franchise go, do you think? I'm totally okay with a remake of The Gate, for sure. Um, I think the only the only difference, um, obviously, I would do with the, with a remake is just, it's just make it more diverse. Um uh, make some of the main characters like if, even if it was kind of like a, a interracial best friend kind of a deal you know what i mean sure. um you know um i think that's the only thing i would probably change about it i think everything else um plot wise effects wise i mean i think that the effects might be if they did practical they should definitely still do practical but i think even like even in like 2017 i think they could do some really gnarly things with the effects and make the um make the demons look a little bit more vicious a little bit more scary um but i think the overall like again i think that's why i come back to this story constantly because i think the story is deeply universal and um, is evergreen. I think it could, I think you could tell that story now and it still is going to affect and be a part of a lot of people. I think that's why people are so attached to Stranger Things because I think, it, again, it deals with those issues. It, you get this, especially with Eleven as a character and how they, and how she develops a friendship with the other four, with the other, well, three, was it three boys? <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Yeah, the three boys because there's four, because there's four um, boys that are kind of like the core friends in general. But yeah, I mean, those kind of uh, universal themes are just, they, they're going to, they're going to be with us until the end of humankind. And so you could definitely still tell that story again today. I agree entirely. And I don't know. I can't think of a better place to wrap up than there. Can I ask before we go, do you have any final parting thoughts on the gate? Only that everyone should see it. I agree. I absolutely <laughs> agree. So definitely check out that Blu-ray that just came out, or hopefully at some point, fingers crossed, it will hit a streaming service like Netflix so that uh, hopefully it'll draw more eyes to it. I, I, I think it deserves it. So, <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I think that's just about our time. Can I ask, where, uh, where can folks find you at online, and what can we keep an eye out for from you in the future? Uh, you can find me mostly on uh, Twitter at Graveyard Sister. Uh, just keep an uh, eye on the website graveyardsisters.com. It's kind of I it is it, there's always something new almost every week to kind of um, get into new new books to discover, new films by especially kind of the unsung independent uh, horror creators who are primarily black women and women of color. You know, you get you get your main cool stuff from, uh, you know, Bloody Disgusting and Dread Central and Daily Dead. You get all your horror news there. But if you want to get into the more independent stuff, especially to see what other women of um, women of color are doing and bringing diversity into the horror genre. I think Grave Rush Sisters is a great place to kind of go and kind of see that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I agree entirely. And folks, if you're out there, definitely make certain to check out that website and to follow uh, Miss Blackwell on Twitter. So, all right. Well, hey, thank you so much for being on the show again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for bringing me on again. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, make certain to like, subscribe, share. Use the comments section below. Rate and review us on iTunes. And give us a yell on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Scream Addicts. And I'm at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much. And have a great weekend. You 
really barf on Steve's lab? Yep. 